0: I think we should we should be more bold too. I mean, to just go back to to the word, you know, choose your lane. Say, this is where we will stand and we're not afraid. And yes, there might be some backlash and whatever. I'm not saying that none of these things make us a little bit nervous or, or worried, but I still think that's life. Um, you're going to upset some people and there'll be a lot of people who will recognize it and, and many who will appreciate it.
1: Welcome to Season 3 of Grit and Growth from Stanford Seed, the podcast where Africa and South Asia's intrepid entrepreneurs share their trials and triumphs, with insights from Stanford faculty and global experts on how to tackle challenges and grow your business. In the United States, over the past decade, LGBTQ rights have become more accepted Companies even change their logos and branding in solidarity with the queer community for Pride Month, celebrated every June. Sometimes these efforts are criticized as rainbow washing, but maybe this view is a bit too cynical. We should not assume that progress is constant and linear. Here in the US, we face a concerted effort to demonize people who are gay, trans, or gender nonconforming. Major US companies, including Target, Budweiser and Disney are facing a backlash right now as I record this for standing with the queer community. And while this backlash may hurt their sales, these are huge companies with enormous resources. What about taking a stand in a much more challenging context? Today, we're going to share a story of how an activist and a business owner are standing up for LGBTQ rights in Kenya, which is perhaps an even more daunting environment for corporate activism. The entrepreneur is someone you might already know, Remember Wandia from episode one of this season?
0: Hi, everyone. My name is Wandia Gishu. I am a Kenyan entrepreneur, a mother, and I am the founder and CEO of the Vivo Fashion Group, which is a group of companies in Kenya in the fashion space.
1: In that episode, we discuss the origins of Vivo and their talent for identifying customer needs.
0: What we realized is that women of color have been pretty underserved. So global fashion is produced for a very white, Caucasian body type and skin tone. And a lot of Black women struggle to find clothing that both suits them, but also fits them well, whether it's in terms of the sizing, the colors, the silhouettes. And so people responded to the clothing just because for once they were able to walk into a store and sort of find ready-made wear that fit their bodies and their shapes and that they felt very comfortable and attractive in.
1: Vivo has always been a socially conscious company, but recently they've gone one step further. They're taking a stand on LGBTQ acceptance. This is no empty gesture. In Africa, gay rights remain deeply divisive. Of the 55 countries that make up the continent, 32 have laws criminalizing same-sex acts, with punishments ranging from prison time to the death penalty. Just this year, Ugandan lawmakers passed the Anti-Homosexuality Act— which bans individuals from even identifying as queer. This is the backdrop to our story. But Wandia hasn't done this on her own. This journey wouldn't have been possible without the help of Chris Moretti.
2: My name is Chris McKenna Moretti. Very many people call me different names, but those are all my names. And um, if I was to describe myself, I would say, I am a bold human being, full of life, joy, confidence, So that is who Chris is. And over and above, me being a human being, I'm the CEO and founder of Ball Africa, an organization that um, uses storytelling and many different pillars to advocate for the LGBTQ community in Kenya and in Africa.
1: Chris is non-binary, which means they don't identify as a man or a woman. Instead of he, him, or she, her pronouns, Chris prefers they and them. And by the way, you may hear several points during this interview where somebody gets a pronoun wrong. But Chris says mistakes like this are normal. We are all adapting to change. And as long as you're working from a place of respect, then you can expect grace. Tell us a little bit about Bold Africa. What does bold stand for?
2: The many different names that queer people you know, are given. You're very brave, you know, you've, you've come out then you're odd. So the letter O was odd. You're always different from what other people are doing. Then you're very loud, even in your expression and in your fashion. And then D still stands for different. So I just, for for me, it was all those words that have been used, you know, to put us down or to make us look like we're not like any other human being. It's just to marry them. And then we say, we are now bold. So Bold Network Africa is an organization that does advocacy for the queer community using storytelling. So that is our spine, you know, storytelling. But we have many, different pillars that now come after that.
1: I love it. So advocating and accelerating acceptance of the queer community yeah. in Africa. Chris's own story starts in an unexpected place on television.
2: After high school, I came to the city to chase my own personal dreams. I wanted to be an actor, so I came to Nairobi and I started off acting at the National Theatre After that, moved into TV, and I was part of a local TV program that was on for a couple of years called Tahiti High. That's where the name McKenna came from, because that was my acting name.
1: Tell me about this show, Tahiti High. It sounds like Beverly Hills 90210 or something like that. What was it?
2: Tahiti High was a high school drama. And so I was the head girl in Tahiti High then for four years. Just pretty much a lot of drama and everything that happens in high school, you know, so Tahidi High was known to have all the rebels, all the fan people, all the serious and strict people, and that's where I was. But it, it was just that, and it was loved, you know, in, in Kenya with the generation that was on at that particular point because everybody in one way or another felt that they could connect and they could see themselves either when they were in high school or if they were in high school at that particular point, they could still also see themselves. So that was Taidi High, an amazing, amazing program and and really, really built my acting career as well.
1: Very cool. So what comes next after acting?
2: After that, BBC came into East Africa, set up a base here in Nairobi, applied for a reporter role there. Then I moved on to the BBC for three more years as well as a reporter and producer for African youth programs based in Nairobi.
1: The work that Bold does is vital because queer people in Kenya face discrimination and violence. So, Chris, what is the state of LGBTQ Rights acceptance in Kenya.
2: So it is not illegal to be gay in Kenya. Nobody's going to come and arrest me because I came out publicly and I say that I'm gay. But the issue that that is there is that there's a penal code, you know, from the colonial days, Section 162 and Section 165 of the Constitution, that criminalizes same-sex acts with. 14 years of imprisonment. So it is not illegal, but there's a penal code that discriminalizes same-sex relation. And by doing that, it has created very many different opportunities for queer people to be discriminated against. Without removing that penal code, it's a weapon that is used, of course, to discriminate against the queer community. We do not share the same equal rights when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to employment, when it comes to freedom of expression and also deep, deep deep-rooted homophobia because of our cultural practices, religion. So it's just, you know, walking through every single motion.
1: To achieve equality, Chris needs help, and they think businesses can be a powerful ally. In fact, the idea of corporate responsibility is what first connected Chris and Wandia. So first, my first question to you, Wandia, is how did you and Chris meet?
0: Well, I followed Chris on on social media before we we had ever met in person. About two years ago, maybe, there was a time that Chris sort of, it was almost like a rant online and she was saying, you know, where's business? You know, it's, it's great that there are individuals who are coming out and, you know, publicly showing support and being allies, but we need corporations, we need businesses to also say, and not just say, but demonstrate whether it's through you know, where they put their money, what products they're creating, who they market with, who represents them. And I remember, I remember reading that post and thinking, that's so true. And and what are we doing? We're not really doing anything. I don't even remember whether you reached out to me or if I reached out to you, but there was a conversation on through direct messaging on Instagram or something and saying, Hey, should we meet Let's talk about this. And that's how the conversation started.
2: Yeah, and Wandia has always inspired me, so I had followed her as well. And then I think Wandia said, why don't we do a collection? And I think initially, even, we were thinking of doing the collection to be like a Chris, a McKenna, you know, kind of capsule. But after, after talking to each other, we were like, why don't we just, you know, make it a bold and Zoya collaboration because it will appeal to many more people. It will directly appeal to the community, accelerate acceptance, allyship. So I think that's how I remember it.
1: Clothing was a natural fit for the cause.
2: Fashion is something that, you know, the people in the queer community really embody because it's one thing that makes them, you know, feel seen, like their identity, you know, is is out there. It's such a big, big thing when it comes to LGBTQ culture.
1: And the line could address a market gap, much like Vivo had done for African women. So when we think about fashion and wardrobe, are there specific problems or pain points? You know, we heard from Andia about the general problem that clothes aren't made in Africa for Africans based on body type, but also preferences for colors and patterns and styles. Is this similar? Does this mirror uh, the pain points for the LGBTQ community in terms of buying, finding great fashion?
2: A hundred percent. You know, every single time I walk into a mall, I have to go to the men's section to buy a shirt. You know, I have to go to the men's section to buy pants. And of course, they're not going to fit me the way they're supposed to fit because they've been cut, you know, for for a man. So there is a great problem. and, And not just only me, even when I speak to other people in the community, you hear them say, I have to go to the women's section, get something, then go get it modified so that it can be able to work for me.
1: But the collaboration wasn't just about creating a product. It was about starting a conversation.
2: For me, even before Bold Network Africa, the way I made many people in my circles accept me was through education. And I knew that most of them were ignorant and not because they want to be like that. It's just really because they have never ever watched something, read something, or just even taken the time to understand what it means to have a queer friend, what it means to have a queer cousin.
1: Before they could educate others, Vivo first had to look inward.
2: I'd already knew we were
0: going to do something, but we hadn't gone into the details of what is the collection going to look like. Once you go down that path, now you're just in work mode, you know? You're just like doing prototypes and patterns and you just focus on the on the product. And I wanted the why and the understanding to come before that. And so even before we started jumping into what would the collection look like and what are the styles, what are the pieces? I think one of the things that I felt was super important is that we took a step back and sort of said, well, if we're going to do this, we don't want to do it just as like a PR exercise, tick the box. But, you know, can we figure out why we're doing it, why it matters? And not just a conversation between Chris and I, but really to get the Vivo team and the staff whether they were directly going to be involved in the collection or not, but just so that as an organization, we learn from this and we become more accepting.
2: And I remember when Wandia said, look, I think for me, it's very important that we talk to the staff, that they understand why this is important. They understand who we are making this for, so that even when they are doing the work, it's it's not just the work, but tomorrow they might educate someone else. Tomorrow we might have, you know, someone who is queer, who is working in this space, and how would we want them to be treated? And for me, that was, I was just like 100% because that's what I like to do. I like to educate. I like to talk to people and just make them understand that all these different biases that we have, really, we don't need to have them. And so Chris
0: and some of her team from BOLD came and ran a diversity and inclusion workshop specifically talking about diversity issues within the queer community and within organizations not understanding that.
1: Not everyone at your organization will share your beliefs. And while Wadia wanted to take a stand, she also wanted to respect her staff.
0: Our head of production is, is a very, very religious person in his part time. He's a pastor. And, and I, I was worried that he might be very uncomfortable about having his team produce this collection, knowing who we're producing it for. And even he, even he said, no, it's fine. Yeah, we make clothes, we'll make clothes for for anyone. That's not an issue. I mean, there were Muslim women on the team who are, were in full hijab. And also, I mean, I, I literally, especially with the people who were working directly on the project, I was like, if any of you are uncomfortable, you can say so. You're not, I'm not going to force you to work on this, but I want you to understand why we're doing it. And literally everyone stayed on the project. No one left.
1: By giving her staff the choice to opt out, Wandia could push forward on the cause while still taking care of her employees, and that can make a huge difference. Chris knows firsthand the power of a supportive employer.
2: While I was working at Nation Media Group, it wasn't a very, very inclusive and open, you know environment. I wasn't able to express myself that much. But when I moved to the BBC, which is an organization that was openly inclusive, no discrimination at all, I found myself, you know, becoming bolder about who, I am and how I wanted to express myself, then unfortunately, while I was working at the BBC, there's an incident that happened and I was outed, you know, to the public. So I woke up one, one day and my car had been vandalized and it was picked up on Twitter because I was already known and I was a journalist and very many people talked about it. And, you know, it was one tweet after the other of people saying, you're gay, you don't deserve to be alive. You know, we we, we don't support this in this country. You know, gay people are are seen and all those different kind of things. While I was working at the BBC, seeing the acceptance that I was given by my employers at that particular point, seeing them saying, you are valued and you are seen. In that moment, I felt like I wanted to do that for so many other people in the community like me who had never had an opportunity to be seen, you know, or to be loved, you know, and, and to have people who say, You are human just like anybody else, you know, and and you need to live a life with, with equal rights, you know, even in your own country. So while I was at the BBC and after that incident, I remember uh, starting to think of what are some of the different things that I did to be able to to come out and say, actually, this is my story and I want to own it. TEDx Parklands in Nairobi, Kenya approached me and they said, look, we've seen what you've gone through and we want to give you an opportunity to own your story on a TEDx platform. And I said, 100%. So I came out, you know, to the whole world through a TEDx and it was themed choose to be bold because that's what I did. Many years, you know, I was I was not living an authentic life. But all of a sudden, I was like, I choose to be bold. And after that, there was the birth of bold network Africa.
1: So let's talk about storytelling for a second. You know, they say in great fiction, you don't tell us what the character is like; you show us who the character is by their actions and their words. So is the idea behind storytelling rather than you know telling someone, look the queer community is part of the human community and should be treated equal, but rather you want to create a sense of cultural empathy for these stories, for the people who tell these stories. So tell me a little bit more like whose stories and what stories are you telling on the Bold Network?
2: You know, as a journalist, I saw how queer representation, you know, was just never there, you know. Queer stories were were never told with the decency that they deserve. It was always talking about a death and really not recognizing how that, you know, like this person was queer, or talking about an incident and not honoring that this person, you know, was living their most authentic life. And really, most of the stories that were told were the negative stories, yet we have such powerful stories, you know, about queer people who are are doing well, who have businesses, who have been able to tackle life in many different shapes and forms, and those stories are never ever told. So for me, that was very, very important, just to be able to share. A, a positive light in the queer community in Africa.
1: Chris also uses stories to educate.
2: So I remember walking into that room and, of course, many people, you know, in the first couple of minutes just struggling to even ask questions that, you know, am I doing something wrong by saying this? If I don't get your pronoun right, is it, is it wrong? And I said, look, we are human beings. Human beings make mistakes. But what I'm, what I'm here to do, you know, is to make you all know and understand what it means to be queer and how you can be more accepting. So I remember, you know, just giving them different examples. How does it feel if today you leave the office and you enter public transport? You don't really have to think about it. You just go out and you jump into a matatu and you go home. You know, you don't have to think about safety, security. Is someone, you know, looking at me and profiling me? Those are some of the Small things that queer people have to think about every single day. I already know from the time that I'm wearing that suit that I'm going to have a million and one people staring at me the whole day. If I'm entering public transport, what does that mean? Am I gonna be bullied? Am I gonna be harassed? When I come to the office, am I gonna have people who are gonna question me? Why do you wear this and not this? You also understand that there's some certain things that people disagree with you. How would you want them to treat you? Would they would you want them to say that you're an outcast and we never want to sit with you on this table? Or would you want them to say, even with your difference, we 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 accept you? to the table because our differences make us stronger. I mean,
0: for me, it was incredibly powerful because quite a few, I think there were probably like 30 or 40 people in the room from the Vivo side and they had so many questions. I think it was one of the first times that they were able to ask, what do all these letters stand for? (laughs) And what does it mean? And are you born like that? Or, you know, the kind of things that they probably have been thinking all along. And I remember, Chris, that towards the end, of the session you asking you know now that you know now that you are a bit more aware of what makes up this community raise your hand if you know somebody like someone in your family a neighbor a, a colleague that you see regularly a person whose maybe shop you go into all the time raise your hand if you know somebody who's in this community and every single person raise their hand
1: Wandia didn't know it yet, but everything she had learned was about to hit home.
0: I mean, I had no idea when we started talking that it was going to become such a personal <laughs> journey as well. We had started the conversation, and maybe a couple of months into it, my own child ended up coming out to me as non-binary and saying that also that she's more attracted to to girls. And I really... I mean, I was I was okay with the lesbian part of it, but I really struggled with the non-binary and the whole, you know, having to re, like come up with you know call her new pronouns and and she was getting very frustrated with me and thought that I I just couldn't I didn't care enough to make the effort. That was that was her feeling. And so as much as I was trying to to support her and be accepting, I was also really upsetting her. And I mean, if I you know if Chris and I hadn't started the conversation, I don't know that I would have even felt comfortable to reach out to you, Chris, but then I did. You'd never met them, but immediately said, you know what? I'm going to come over, came to our house, sat down, spent two hours uh, sort of talking. And I was asked to leave the room, so I wasn't there. But I mean, it definitely shifted the way they were feeling about me. And I think one of the things you said is, look, it's been a journey for you to get to your own understanding of who you are. You've literally just said this to your mother.
2: Let her take that journey too. Just like Wendia said, I never knew that it was going to have all these different kind of layers. We never knew that it was going to become that personal. We never knew that we were going to have a presentation, you know, in front of Wendia's employees. And Saskia was one of the people who was presenting with me. But it was powerful. It was beautiful, you know, at the end of the day. And in the
0: end, Saskia ended up coming and being part of the presentation at the office, which I didn't even know about. Yeah.
1: Wait, so Saskia, you mean the workshop in your office, Saskia participated? Yes,
0: yes like literally on the day of the presentation chris texted me and said hey hope Saskia's ready i was like ready for what <laughs> yeah so anyway so that that was very special so this is an amazing story Wandia.
1: were you proud were you nervous were you scared what was going through your mind and your heart when your daughter saskia got up and and was part of this presentation
0: well, first I didn't know, so I was surprised and I had no idea. And she wouldn't tell me even after you, you texted and I was like, well, what is this all about? Like, wait, you just wait and see. But I think more than anything, I was proud. They were 16 at the time. Uh, is quite introverted. So even just for, for them to have had the courage to do that, I, I knew they were nervous. But yeah, so I was, I was, I was very proud and... And also proud of the team, proud of Vivo, proud of the questions they asked and their willingness to engage. And I mean, I felt definitely everyone walked out changed to some extent and probably a lot more allies.
1: I mean, the more you guys explain it, the more I love this collaboration. You know, there's the education part, right? Step one, understand. Step two, don't be hostile. Step three, walk a mile in my shoes as i get on public transport step 4 empathy step 5 allyship maybe and and even if people are maybe aren't willing to you know go out and and march or protest giving them an opportunity to work on this cool fashion collection is a way to be an ally that's safe right for especially you know you're d- describing a group of people who are unsure even what is the right terminology to use and how to, how to address people in the queer community. So that whole journey is, so, is actually so brilliant. With the team on board, they got down to work.
0: I think what we did first was try to understand what are the limitations, you know, that we were so kind of narrow tunnel focused in how we think about clothes. So certain colors are very female, certain fabrics are very female, certain silhouettes are very female and and the same for, for men. And, and so at first we just started to say, let's just open our minds. You know, what would it look like to take what is traditionally a very feminine color or feminine fabric and try and create a clothing style that would work for a male body? and vice versa. And even before we started thinking about price points or marketing or anything like that, it was, it was just, let's, let's play.
1: It's hard to describe a fashion line on a podcast, but on their website, you will find simple Navy corduroys, floor-length caftans bursting with orange and blue and purple, wide-legged pants in a mesmerizing geometric print. The Zoya line is colorful, joyful, and filled with surprises. It reflects the diversity of the queer experience. And that was no accident. Chris and Wandia were conscious to include the queer community at every step.
0: One of the things that I was quite determined is that we don't just water it down to basic unisex. I mean, because there are unisex clothes. You know, your your typical hoodie, your typical sweatpants, your t-shirts, your whatever. But I'm like, that's boring. I mean, that's not what this is about. This needs to be different. And it needs to be authentic. It needs to be real. And we need to start
2: from the community itself. For me, it was that the importance of just making people in a community feel seen, know that there is a fashion, a big fashion brand in Africa that actually says, you know what, welcome to the table. We're here to listen to you. We're here to see what we can be able to do, you know, to create clothes for you. As we started developing the collection further,
0: we got Chris to bring in actual members of the community to sort of look at some of the prototypes and the early samples even the way that the models were, you know, the makeup was done. And the, and actually, we never used models. We used members of the community. And we didn't even tell them how to style the clothes. We're like, here's the collection. Come in, pick the pieces. Tell us how you'd wear it. Like, what would you wear this with? And where would you wear it to? And bring your own kind of shoes that you would rock with it. And so the way those outfits were put together was completely authentic,
1: I love that. And I, I see, Chris, I see you rocking some outfits on the on the page as well, which is so cool. <laughs> because LGBTQ issues are so divisive in Kenya, Wandia and Chris were prepared for a negative reaction. So, Wandia, what was the public reaction to the, the Zoya Bold line, the collection?
0: To be honest, it was, I didn't see that much hate. We had featured Chris as part of a women's day campaign where we interview different people, men and women and Chris being non-binary and told their story on Vivo pages, for whatever reason, that got more of a reaction. I mean, we had people commenting and saying, if this is the direction Vivo is going, I don't want to shop there anymore and blah, 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 blah. You know, we had to decide as a business, are we going to respond to that? Or, or just ignore it and I think I think we ended up just ignoring it and to hell with it. I mean I my feeling is it's a free market. You can choose where you wanna put your your money and if us you know, acknowledging Chris as, you know, a change maker in our society and someone who stands up for, regardless of whether you call yourself a woman, Chris, you stand up for women's rights as well as for gay rights. And, you know, if that's going to make someone not want to shop at Vivo, then that's fine. Go shop somewhere else. You know, we're not, we're not going to bend over backwards to try and accommodate you. But with the collection, I personally did not see that much hate. What I saw was people loving it, either because they really understood what it it was about or they just thought it was cool.
2: I always say I applaud Wendia, you know, for just saying, you know what, I know that some hate might come out of this, but I know what this means for me, for my company, for the community. And she went ahead and she said, let's do this.
1: At this point, any hate has been far outweighed by positivity.
2: I had so many people who are not even part of the community telling me that they've purchased the pieces. So many people who are just allies and they're like, this, it's just, it's such cool clothing because it doesn't look like it has any sort of, you know, order. Like you're not being told, go to the men's section to buy those tracksuits. You know, it's just there, you know. So very many people who wanted to feel comfortable, people who just wanted to feel like they were rocking some cool pieces, ended up buying most of the outfits that we made as well.
1: Taking a stand can create a domino effect. Are you seeing positive movement in the fashion space, Chris, beyond the Zoya-Vivo collaboration?
2: A hundred percent. Different kind of organizations now are able to look and say, oh, okay, we can also think of something like economic inclusion, you know, and, and what it actually means to be an inclusive, to be a partner, to be an ally as a business and what that can also do for your business. You know, just understanding that when you're more inclusive, you open up more opportunities for investment. You open up spaces, you know, for the queer community to even say, "Okay, I'm a proud owner of a restaurant and I can be proud to own it. And this is the amount of money that I'm contributing to the economy. So I think we're only moving forward. And the sooner people see, you know, the importance of just leading from love, accepting everybody for who they are, the better we are going to be as a society, as an economy.
0: I think we should, we should be more bold too. I mean, to just go back to, <laughs> to the word, you know, choose your lane. Say, this is where we will stand and we're not afraid. And yes, there might be some backlash and whatever. I'm not saying that none of these things make us a little bit nervous or, or worried, but I still think that's life. You're going to upset some people and there'll be a lot of people who will recognize it and, and many who will appreciate it.
1: Now, all of this is very inspiring, but what about the business side of things? Did taking a stand cost Vivo money? Was the risk worth it? Well, with a campaign like this, profit is rarely the point.
0: I don't know that anyone at that point was cared that much about whether or not we were going to make tons of money from it. It was just like, guys, look at this. We're here. We're being seen. We're so excited. We love this. A chunk of it goes back to Bold Network Africa. So we see it also as a, a way to give back. I mean, any change you make, when we started to produce our clothes in Kenya, there were people who said, oh my God, but there are some people who don't think Kenyan products are as good. They think if it's imported, it's better quality. Are you sure you're doing the right thing for the business? And I'm like, I want to employ people. For every product we make in Kenya, we employ six to seven times more people than when we import the product. So if we care about this country and we care about the future and and, and passing on an economy that, that will... Stand, then these are things we we have to take positions on. And yes, we don't make as much money because it's probably a bit more expensive to make it here, but we have a lot more positive impact.
1: And in the future, taking a stand might be good business.
0: Another thing I would say is I do think in the long run, it is going to make business sense as well because what you'll see is, you know, in a world of increasing choices and a lot more competition, people will start making choices based on what they believe a brand stands for. I mean, I see it with the younger generation. It's sort of, you know, where do you get your stuff made? And and who's making it? And who do you employ? I mean, they're asking these kind of questions. So even if it's purely from that profitability, whatever point of view, I think you'll need to think about where you stand. Maybe not today, but definitely in the future.
1: Taking a stand has left a lasting impact on Vivo.
0: I think the experience of having walked this journey so as, as far as we've walked it, even though we thought, okay, we're this open business, you know, inclusion is one of our values, we want everyone to belong. I don't know that we had really thought about what that meant. When we advertise for jobs, do we actually state on the job ad that we are a company that will welcome applications from everyone regardless of sexual orientation like just put it out there say it when we hire people and orient them when they go through their induction do we make it obvious that this is part of what we stand for and that we will not tolerate discrimination i think i think i was always a lot more conscious of it from a gender point of view i mean i have fired people in the past when they're sexist you know if they refuse To listen to somebody because that person is a a woman. I mean, I've always been very clear about that. So I think, you know, as business leaders who are trying to build companies that will stand for something, that are true to the values they claim to stand for, then, you know, we should be questioning this. And not just for the queer community, but for race, for gender, for religion, you know, in, in all ways.
1: To Chris and Wandia, the Zoya Bold collaboration has been a huge success.
2: I think for me, when I think about this collection, it's more than a collection. It's really people were reminded to be human beings, you know, from the onset, from the conversations that we had with them to them, you know, helping to produce this collection to seeing other people wearing them and them feeling seen, you know, and happy. So for me, it was, it's really just what humanity should be. And I want to keep doing it, you know. I think we're due, Chris, to start talking about the... The next one. Summer collection. (laughs) Summer collection.
0: The
1: story on LGBTQ rights in Africa is still being written. Since we met with Chris and Wandia, the National Gay and Lesbian Human Rights Commission won a victory in Kenya's Supreme Court. But that win has sparked open criticism from Kenya's president and increased violence against the community. And this fight isn't just happening in Africa. In the United States, years of progress are under threat from hostile legislatures and state leaders who are actively banning books, punishing corporations that stand with the queer community, and passing don't-say-gay laws. Taking a stand carries risk, but living boldly and brightly as a queer person in Africa often carries much more. As a business owner, consider the influence that you have and how your platform might help others. Being an ally matters most when it's hard. In the making of this episode, Chris shared the concept of holding space
2: to be a better ally, to be able to educate people you know, about the queer community. If you have someone who you know who is queer, always hold a space for them because we know that we are still marginalized and we definitely need people to hold our hands so that we can be able to enjoy the same privileges that everybody else does.
1: As we come to a close, I'd like to hold some space for them to deliver their message.
2: I always go back to the basis. We are all human beings really just trying to do this thing called life we have to move from a space of love. You know, parents have to understand that you might have children who might walk up to you and say that this is who I am. And that particular point, what they need from you is love. They don't need you to understand. They don't need you to immediately say, oh, wow, I embrace you. You know, I fully understand everything that is going on. But what we need is love. You know, when it comes to the rights and and where we are going, We are only moving forward. We will never move backwards. It is next to impossible to think that, you know, the generation that is coming, you will be caged the same way that we were caged.
1: I want to thank Wandia Gishuru and Chris Mureti for choosing to be bold. This has been Grit and Growth from the Stanford Graduate School of Business. I'm your host, Darius Teeter. If you like this episode, follow us and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Erica Amawake Ajay and VN Virgin researched and developed content for this episode. Kendra Gladich is our production coordinator, and our executive producer is Tiffany Steves, with writing and production from Andrew Gannum and sound design and mixing by Alex Bennett at Lower Street Media. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another episode.